Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we are wrapping up our coverage of The Magician Season 1 with an overview of our thoughts on the season. So the first thing we want to do is to talk about what we thought of as kind of our favorite uses of magic throughout this season. What were some of your favorite ways that magic was used, either narratively or just cool spells? A very small one, but one that's just fun, is that sometimes Elliot will do something with his hands when he's done making a drink, Mm. which is, I'm just like, ooh, what is he adding? What is this? (laughs) It's just, it makes me curious, and it's, like, totally peripheral, like... Mm -hmm. It's not important, but it definitely piques my interest. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when a bartender will just like wave an orange peel over a drink and it's like (laughs) just the slightest ad of something like what's this magic ad going to be? That's cool. But I think one of the things that I really love is the moment when Penny first travels Mm. and then when we see him learning to travel with Mayakovsky just... Every time he comes back, (laughs) this time he's putting out a fire from a volcano, Mm -hmm. you know, and just this idea of he's going so instantaneously to all of these places, it really communicating both the opportunity, the potential of that, and also the dangers of it. Yeah. And I love how it's not just like, I went to London, I went to Paris, I went to New York, Mm -hmm. but like, he's going to actually diverse places on Afghanistan. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then another one that I I just really love is with the fountains. Mm. Especially that first time we saw Penny get out of the fountain and then his clothes just dries Mm -hmm. uh, is just, yeah, such a cool way to show that not only are these fountains portals, but there's extra magic around that dries you, (laughs) that, that, uh, is still doing something to you even after you're out of the fountain. Yeah, that's so true. It makes me think of this concept that comes up in some of the the historical readings that I, I talk about in my classes. You had a pause there. I'm like, he's either going to say something about historical readings or... Something Ge- super nerdy. Geeky video games. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was going to be one of those two. No, this is, this is the, the academic nerdy mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Um, but the concept of liminal space... Mm. Liminal meaning a kind of in-between space, but typically one that doesn't have clear, rigid borders. So a great example of this is actually the beach, where the waves kind of come in and out, and so the division between land and ocean is kind of ever-changing, and there's parts of land that are wet, and the actual place where the waves crash kind of change. And so oftentimes academics will use the term liminal space for anything where there aren't these kind of clear divisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, And obviously this comes up a lot in things like gender and race and class and and things like that. But the use of water here with these fountains, I think, also has this idea of like liminal space where Mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, when you go into a fountain, you're traveling and, you know, the deeper you go into water, the farther away you go from the light. And so you're kind of traveling Mm -hmm. from one place to a darkness, which is like a different place. And then getting out of that fountain you leave it behind by getting automatically dried off. Like, yeah, I think there's just some cool, interesting things there. Totally, totally. But what about you? What are some of the 
magic moments, but not those magic moments, these other magic moments yes, that yes. you liked. <laughs> I also had a cool one about drinking uh, the never-ending <laughs> flask. Oh, I mean... I mean, it's a whole other section of what do you want? Because I really want that 2020 vision. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if there was a single spell that I wanted, it would actually be the portals that we see. The portal to the ball and sack? Exactly. To the British pub where you can just create a portal to wherever you want on the planet. And yeah. you don't have to oh. worry about the terrors of traveling. Right. Or the environmental cost of traveling, mm-hmm. right? And Ugh, yeah. Oh, so I meant cool. like the terrors of being a traveler, but yeah, also oh, the environmental oh, costs yeah. and terrors of traveling through non-magical means. <laughs> got it, got it. I thought you meant more like, how many people die in car accidents? <laughs> no, 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 no. I meant accidentally showing up a volcano. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, there are many ways to die, magical and non-magical. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, just the ability to go anywhere you want in your life. There's so many places that I would love to go back to or to go to for the first time. And that would make it so much easier. I feel like we often talk about where we want to go for a future trip. You know, there's a lot of places that neither of us have been to, but there's also places that you've been to that you'd want me to go to. And Mm -hmm. I've been to that I want you to go to. And like, you know. Do you go back to a place or do you just go somewhere new? Because there's too many places to go and there's not, well, yeah, there's not enough time and there's not enough money. Exactly. At least for us. Yeah. (laughs) To be able to go. And often there's not enough time because we're spending time making money to survive. (laughs) So yeah, having a literal magical way around that would be just delightful. It'd be so good. Yeah. But narratively, I, I really love the concept of probability magic Mm -hmm. and the probability spells that they do. It's honestly something that I've always found kind of fascinating, even though it isn't super common in like superheroics of like probability powers and things like that. There are a few characters who have probability powers that I do enjoy, but they're very rarely going to be a main character or a well-known character. But I always thought it was super cool, so much so that when I was an actor, I wrote a script about a character with probability powers. What? Why have I never read this? Uh, I don't know if it's <laughs> still around. It's bad? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's it's awful. <laughs> so this was uh, when the show Heroes was on TV, mm. and especially after the first season, I was like, "This show is so great! I need to be on this show." And my acting coach was like, "Okay, what you should do is you should write and film your own scene of like a character." from that show who doesn't like a fan fiction essentially Mm. uh and then send it in to show not only your acting talents but also your interest in this kind of narrative storytelling and and things like that so i did end up writing writing the script i never filmed it or anything Mm. like that but uh yeah the character had probability powers although my acting coach also kind of lied to me because he told me (laughs) that this is a good idea because this is what sean astin did to get (laughs) the role of sam in lord of the rings which I thought was true for years until I looked it up and realized, no, that's that's not the case at all. Yeah. <laughs> and now we know about Tom Holland, that he had done all of these videos since he had gymnastic background mm-hmm. and, like, dance background. He'd done all these videos, like, I can do my own stunts, and, like, they never remembered that about him. <laughs> He's like, I can do the flip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was my attempt to utilize probability powers to get myself onto a TV show that ended up being very bad. I never even finished it. Yeah, I mean, the probability of that 
leading to that actually uh, working. Yeah, it was Pretty very low. low. Yeah. yeah, you probably would have discovered that if you finished your script. Probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, why don't we go into our next segment on narrative threads from this season. Narratives and themes and things that we saw kind of throughout the season. So what was on your mind here? So I think a really important theme that we didn't even touch on that much from the final episode of the season, but I think we do see ideas building into it throughout the season, is this idea of a chosen one. Mm, Yeah. And the kind of purpose that people will feel if that's what they think that they are or if at some point they feel chosen Mm -hmm. and i think that this is especially true with quentin obviously and especially in that episode 13 where yeah he was 100 percent convinced that he was going to be the high king and then I am the hero of this story, Mm -hmm. but then once the story actually started happening, he started realizing, well, maybe that's not true. He said something about every book or movie or story being about some special guy. Mm -hmm. And for every special guy, there's a billion people who aren't special, you know, uh, in terms of these sorts of stories. But... Obviously, the world, especially if you're a white boy, tells you that you are the hero of the story, right? Um, Which is one of the reasons it's so important to have diverse main characters. But I think we also have a really interesting part of that with Elliot, too, because Elliot is not treating himself or it's not a part of Elliot's own narrative that he is the chosen one. Mm -hmm. More a part of his narrative is what he doesn't want or what isn't him or what he distances himself from his own background. And, you know, he's just going along, partying, having fun, helping out here and there until he's very happy to be chosen in a relationship Mm -hmm. in a way and to choose another person in a relationship only to find out that he wasn't chosen. He was selected for manipulation so that the beast could kill Quentin or others. Yeah. And that's really destructive for him and tragic. And ever after that, he's just trying to drag himself along through on these missions and quests and and stuff until episode 13, he's chosen by Fillory. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, just very interesting because that's not what he expected. And it's not even what he wanted. But he takes that as a purpose for his life now that he was failing to find previously. Mm-hmm. And I think the last person that really shows this theme as well and this idea carrying through this whole season is Julia. Yeah. Because she was not chosen for break bills, and that changed everything. It changed the whole timeline. Yeah. In her being unchosen, then she was chosen by gods. Like that first local deity that she said the prayer to, and Richard said, she doesn't respond to most people, Mm -hmm. but... For some reason, we don't know why some people are God-touched and other people aren't. 
And so in a way, Julia is chosen and goes along that path. Then in that process of being chosen by gods or, or seeming to be, right, and, and being God-touched, then this horrible, disastrous, yeah. traumatic, violent thing is done to her and all of her friends. So I think this is also where the narrative thread comes in. It's Obviously, this is not at the end of Julia's storyline. Mm-hmm. It's just the start of her being unchosen and chosen. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting seeing these characters' stories interact with one another because of those thematic elements. I, I had a lot of similar thoughts, too. And I think how these characters also show different forms of agency mm-hmm. in their engagements with being quote-unquote chosen or not chosen, where Julia, we've talked a lot about how she's constantly questioning things, how she kind of finds her own path. And then Quentin, in the last episode especially, is kind of defined as the one who keeps showing up, who mm-hmm. keeps being there. and He chooses himself. Exactly. <laughs> uh, through his determination, through his belief that he, he is special in some way, or that he has a connection to Fillory, or that he wants that, uh, he just keeps being there. While Elliot, until that last episode, doesn't choose much at all. In fact, he tries to escape from most of his life through Mm. drugs or sex or other ways of escape, you know, after his awful encounter with Mike slash the Beast. So, yeah, I think that there's really fascinating elements of being a chosen one and making choices Mm -hmm. that have no very clear message, which I, I also really appreciate about this, is that there is no, well, the chosen one is the one who chooses hard enough or who's most determined or these kind of trite messages that I think often come with these types of narratives or people who try to deconstruct the chosen one narrative. Mm -hmm. Here, it's more complicated. There are, magic does just choose people sometimes. And there's not always a reason why that's the case, especially in a world like this where there are gods and there are higher magical authorities that aren't really able to be comprehended very easily. And certainly not with the amount of information that the characters of the audience is getting. Mm -hmm. And so why Elliot is the High King and not Quentin or Penny or anyone else is, I think, a fascinating question. Because we don't even see him chosen to be High King. We just see a knife that identifies the High King. Mm -hmm. You know, like Ember doesn't even have a conversation with Elliot. He only does with Quentin when he kind of chooses him. <laughs> but even then, it's giving a gift that Quentin then gives gives on. So yeah, I just, I find that this idea of being chosen and of choosing and the kind of messiness of those narratives actually really compelling because I don't think it's chaotic or unearned. I think that this is through interesting narrative choices they've been making the whole season. Yeah, I I really agree, and I think it very nicely intertwines with the ideas of choice and agency, like you were mentioning, that are introduced far earlier in the season with conversations with both the Dean and Mayakovsky. Absolutely. At one point, Dean Fogg told Quentin, there are no answers because we have no idea what's going to happen next. And Mayakovsky 
had told Katie when she asked what she was supposed to do, he said, what we all do each moment, decide. So even within these time loops that they're in, mm-hmm. which probably Mayakovsky knows yeah, about Yeah, I know. Too. I was just thinking, I was like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that in those episodes, but he probably does right. notice yeah. them. Yeah, but doesn't find them significant enough. Or maybe he doesn't know why it's happening because he's not involved with Fillory. Mm-hmm. He's, he's stuck in Breakville South. I'm not sure. It's enough of a time loop for him already just to be there and have to teach a new group of students the same kinds of magic, which mm-hmm. he sees as elementary, over mm-hmm. and over again. You know, I know that some educators find having to teach the same classes over and over really, really mind-numbing at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that that can be the case for someone who <laughs> already has distaste for teaching these students, like right. Mayakovsky. <laughs> it's not like he's excited about the new group because he likes their personalities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, so I think it's interesting because you have these ideas of, we don't know. We yeah. don't know what the answer is. There isn't an answer. There's just choices that you make, and those choices will affect things, and we don't know how, or we don't know the choices that are best or should be avoided or whatnot, because even within this loop, different things keep happening. Yeah. So yeah, I think it really does show that it isn't that certain things are meant to happen. It's not that there's this destiny that regardless of what happens, Quentin will end up as high king or, you know, whatever the situation is. Instead, they're all making meaningful choices every time that they make a choice. And it's, yeah, not about the right or wrong choice as much as it probably is about (laughs) a better question for our band of ridiculous characters is, is this a healthy or unhealthy choice? Is this Mm. a, a, a loving or unloving choice? Rather than is it the right or wrong choice, because that's much more complicated, I think. Yeah, it is. And for me, I mean, it just goes back to why I love probability magic also, because I would just love to have that in my own life, (laughs) to be able to see ahead that whether something is a right or wrong choice. You know, I, I tend to really enjoy media that has time travel or time loops or other kinds of things in them. And one of my favorite things is when a video game gives you like a decision chart where once you've beaten the game you can go back to specific decisions and make the other decision and see where that leads you Mm -hmm. so you can kind of see oh multiple different endings and multiple different ways that those choices turn out and yeah you can kind of see what's the good ending or what's the best ending Mm -hmm. if you made all the right choices but life certainly isn't that way and i know a lot of other games that are either too complicated for that or just don't have that same kind of mechanics that allow you to go back and remake choices so easily that address that messiness in a way that can be more discomforting because if you, especially if you've devoted a lot of time to something, to a story, to a game, to whatever, to your life, and it goes a difficult way, you know, it's just hard to, to come to grips with that sometimes. Yeah. And I think Julia really is the perfect character to explore that idea mm-hmm. because If this is the timeline where they could defeat the beast, the difference was terrible things happening to her. And so it's not about right or wrong. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And it was decisions that were made along the way. And maybe it's not for better or worse, but it's for better and worse. Yeah, yeah. 
But what about you? So yeah, the only other thing that I had was I want to talk a little bit about education and how they are in, or at least they start the series going into this form of higher education and how at first that seems to kind of give some stability to their lives. They have different professors that they're meeting, different lessons that they're taking. They go to Break Bill South to learn from Mayakovsky. They come back. They continue to take lessons. Penny's learning how to travel. You know, all these other kinds of things are happening. But as the season goes on, we see the characters spending less and less time <laughs> and energy on their classes and their education and more on this other quest that they're doing, um, which for many of them is just about survival. Though certainly for Quentin, there's more to it than that, though that's the highest priority. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I'm interested in exploring kind of if there are purposeful messages about education, and especially post-bachelor's education, that they're trying to kind of address here. Mm. Because oftentimes, master's or doctorate level education can be very self-exploratory after you do the kind of basic research and survey courses, you start for one, teaching, and two, doing your own research, adding your own theories, research, analysis, etc., to the scholarship on whatever topic you're researching. So I think there can be an idea of like, oh, well, just like in other graduate programs, they're lives are kind of opening up as they're gaining their own independence in what they want to spend time researching or studying. They start looking at battle magic because that's going to help them survive. Alice uses phosphomancy in new ways, like making them invisible. Like they, they are using their skills in new ways and growing as magicians in a ways that are related not to a kind of curriculum or a course of study put in front of them, but instead their own choices, their own interests, their own desires and needs. But I also don't know if the show's doing that purposefully at all. Because I could also see the show just being like, okay, we're going to start it out with this because it's a great introduction, similar to the way the books do. And then be like, but the really interesting things aren't what's going on in school. That's not what we want to do here. We don't want to tell a story about... We're not telling a story for Ravenclaws. <laughs> I mean, that... We're or, sad. Or for Gryffindors, <laughs> who are, you know, the ones who are like, oh, is there a house tournament? <laughs> Let's see more Welkers tournaments or whatever. Welters. Like... <laughs> is it a story for Slytherins? <laughs> trying to be chosen? The chosen one? There you go. Finding out you're not and then making it happen anyway? Yeah, Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, oftentimes the magical school stories or, or the boarding school stories are about the rivalries that take place there alongside lessons coming of age in those ways and this show doesn't seem to have those elements as core to its themes and narratives yeah i mean the only real rivalries are quentin and penny being annoyed at each other <laughs> exactly. and then between hedge witches and formalized break bells right which is talking about actual issues in society mm -hmm. rather than school rivalries. Yeah, exactly. It's not even the, like, students versus townies things that you see sometimes in <laughs> school media, you know? It's, yeah, it's literally, like, those in academia and those who work to find access to power outside of formal pathways. So, yeah, I don't really have a definitive answer to what I think 
the show is doing with this. It's just something that is obviously on my mind as an educator myself, like what role education plays in people's lives, especially after they're done with education. Because mm-hmm. for me, the role it played was it made me stay in education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I don't have that that normal pathway of leaving academia. So, yeah, it's just um, something I'm I'm kind of curious about and, and probably going to keep my mind open to where the story goes in the future. But it's just raises some interesting questions, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, our last section is going to be a character spotlight where we wanted to talk about characters who watching through the season made us think about new ways or brought interesting new ideas about. So what character did you bring to discuss? Well, I'm going to steal Penny from you. <sighs> I told them bef- before we started recording, I'm like, I'm choosing Penny, so you need to choose someone else. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've loved Penny since I've, I first watched the show, my first watch of it. But particularly this time, as we've spent more careful, thoughtful time discussing him and... and as known... one of our POV characters every episode, basically. <laughs> yeah. There's just so much more to him so much earlier than I thought about. Yeah. Like, I remember loving Penny and really enjoying his character as we moved on, but in really remember that there are so many levels to him so quickly, especially knowing some of his background of being in foster care and, and his childhood and then additionally, his relationship with the Beast, mm-hmm. seeing how integral those are to his choices and his inclinations and the distance that he puts between people or what he may be going through. Because Penny is often kind of, even if he has his own plot line that we're following sometimes, he's often kind of on the side still as somebody who's not as connected to the rest of the group mm-hmm. and doesn't want to be connected <laughs> to the rest of the group. Right, yeah. So yeah, this watch through is just really interesting to think more about what he specifically is going through at any given time in each episode because once you start, it's very hard to stop mm-hmm. and, and not have him as your POV every episode because there's just so much there that is not talked about but must be going on deeper inside him with yeah his feelings about of betrayal with the beast and this only constant that he had for so long is this monster or murderer but then not only that but then when he thought it was plover and he thought he was you know, a sexual abuser of children, you know, like it changes everything as he would be thinking back over his interactions with this person. And even though that didn't end up being true, that portion, because it's not Plover, it's Martin Chatwin, for a while he thought that it was true. Yeah. And that is just going to change so much of how you feel. And if you want to run away versus try to face this thing and the frustration you can have with other people who 
are making poor decisions while not dealing with as much as mm-hmm. you are. And he has no one to talk to, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so then when it gets to that moment that, that we talked about a few episodes back, when the beast finally enters his mind again, and it's just a shot of him and his face and processing what the beast is saying yeah. is like it makes those moments so much more powerful because of spending more time thinking about what is going on in penny's mind that he he doesn't talk about absolutely yeah one of the one of the things that we do really get clarity on about penny's personality is that he puts up walls and that he performs a lot you know, when he loses his emotions, the first thing that he does is compliment Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that he would never do. And it's it's obviously a funny joke, but it also highlights exactly what you're talking about. That he, cho- he chooses not to be close with these people. And I think we've done a great job and, and had really interesting discussions about why he makes those choices. And how those are tied to his circumstance but also tied to the ways that he chooses to respond to his circumstance. And oftentimes that is defensively, but also compassionately. Mm-hmm. And that makes him such a compelling and entertaining character to watch. Not to mention, absolutely, his performance is just impeccable. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yes. Arjun Gupta does a fantastic job and... Penny is really my favorite change that they made from the books to the oh, show. Yeah. Because the show without his character, it just loses so much. Because, yeah, Penny is such a just well done in all of these different ways character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Even if he's not always like driving the plot, I think at least in our conversations over the show, I think he's often driving a lot of the heart of of the show. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. But what about you? Who's your character? I want to talk about Julia. Mm. I actually wish I remembered more of her story at the beginning of this rewatch because I didn't remember her choices in this last episode where she chooses to capture the beast and make that deal rather than go along with the attempt to kill him. <laughs> you didn't remember her One of most the, significant exactly. choices yeah. in this season. And yeah. so in our discussions, you know, and thinking about it, I think that does shape the narrative so crucially in so important ways. You know, you mentioned Penny's not always driving the narrative. I think that Julia, we have to see her now as driving the mm-hmm. narrative. And and doing so all along exactly. when you look back from the end of this season. Precisely. Yeah. And so this analytical, slower watch through, I still took so much new appreciation for Julia and for her narrative. But that would have been even more so had I been thinking about that choice all along and how this is all building up to that. But yeah, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but my first watch through, I saw Julia's treatment of Quentin in casting the spell, trapping him in his fears in the mental institution, in his mind, as unforgivable. 
it just completely turned me off to the character in so many ways. And it took a long time for me to come back to appreciate her character again after that. I kind of held it against her in ways that were probably too pronounced, but also I think made me miss out on the ways in which she was a driver, not only of the narrative, but of the themes of the show. You know, we've talked about how she is another interesting element of a chosen one and how she grapples with what the point of magic is in ways the other characters don't. They get told magic's about control, magic's about power, and they have interesting stories that interact with those elements. But Julia is the one who questions that and who gets another possible path with working with Richard. And yeah, I just, I find that when I have been thinking and we've when we've been discussing the ideas of the show, Julia consistently is the character who makes me think about those ideas in new ways or in distinct ways that help to make them more compelling. Which is awesome, too, and so fitting when eventually, far, far from now, we find out in in the past loops when she was at Break Bills, what her discipline was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. If you don't remember, I Chris don't. or audience. Looking forward to that. Ha ha ha. And yeah, I'm also come to just appreciate her characterization as someone who is always questioning things. As someone who is critical and not critical in a way of constantly criticizes things, but as someone who's analytical, someone who looks at things the way that we try to look at things on this podcast, where you bring a critical eye to things, and who helps us explore the world outside of break bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would, would Julia be the patron saint of our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't be a mascot. That that would have to be something no, else. But, no, no. She could be the patron saint. Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely the character who I think would bring most compelling conversation to the podcast (laughs) for sure yeah all right well i think that's gonna wrap up this discussion of season one so what's happening next time on the magicians so we are gonna jump into season two watching the first episode which is knight of crowns where elliot gets the crown that his head has always longed for (laughs) thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. We had an amazing time talking about the first season with our patrons on our live Zoom meetup, as well as exploring the first chapter of the Monsters of Fans Dilemma book. If you're still interested in any of those things, it's a great time to hop on as we start season two. Another thing you can do that really helps the show is leaving us a rating or review in your podcatcher of choice, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way of helping us find new listeners. Other than... Other than... Word of mouth. Word of mouth. (laughs) So you can also tell a friend who loves the magicians about our show. Or post about it on social media. Absolutely. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!